You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us. Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Paula Kahumbu, one of the world's most influential conservationists. She spent decades studying animals and is one of the loudest voices when it comes to protecting endangered species and preserving their way of life. She's the CEO of Wildlife Direct, the producer and host of a popular wildlife television series, Wildlife Warriors. She works on award-winning documentaries and holds the title of National Geographic Explorer. She also works closely with the government in Kenya to raise awareness and mobilize legal reforms that protect vulnerable wildlife. Dr. Kuhumbu, thank you so much for joining us here at The Blackest Questions. Are you ready to play? I am. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, you're in for a real treat. Dr. Kuhumbu is from Kenya. So during this episode, you're going to learn a lot about the motherland. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> we think so. That's. I will say this, Dr. Kuhumbu. That is everyone's first answer. So you're right on track. Okay. This woman served as the First Lady of Kenya for more than 10 years and is known for voicing her opinion on a number of social issues, including mother and child welfare, education, and animal conservation. Who is she? She is Margaret Kenyatta. You are correct. She's married to the former president of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta, and she served as the First Lady from 2013 to 2022. In 2014, she was named Kenya's Person of the Year, and she headed the Beyond Zero campaign that worked to reduce child maternal mortality rates, and she also helped you spearhead your Hands Off Our Elephants campaign. So please tell us a little bit more about how that partnership came to be, and tell us a little bit more about what Hands Off Elephants, Hands Off Our Elephants campaign is really all about. You know, when we started raising awareness about the crisis facing elephants in Kenya, it was... Um, a gut feeling that what we had been seeing in the media was uh, only a tip of the iceberg. We began to receive reports from the field that elephants were dying all over the place, maybe thousands. And we were getting a lot of pushback from all kinds of uh, government offices. So we went straight to the media and we said, there's, there's definitely um, more to this story. The media supported us but the government was really questioning us. And out of the blue, I got a request, an invitation to come to State House to meet Kenya's First Lady, Margaret Kenyatta. I hadn't met her before, and um, she asked me to come and to explain to her what the problem was. And I came with photographs and information. At that point, we had just started creating graphics to help Kenyans understand how many elephants were dying and what it meant that these elephants are being slaughtered all across the country. It was very tragic. These are not just animals that have no name, no identity. These are elephants that are so like human beings. They have families and children and relationships with each other. 
So the impact on Kenyans was, was quite strong. There was a lot of trauma being felt in the country. She asked me what she could do to help. And I said, you know, I'd really like you to be the face of this campaign, Hands Off Our Elephants. And she said, what do I need to do? And I said, well, you need to go out there and talk about elephants. And she said, but the last time I saw an elephant, I was five years old. And, you know, in a way, what she was saying is what most Kenyans have experienced. Most Kenyans have never seen an elephant. The national parks are really reserved for tourists. And most people don't know that much about our own wildlife, even though we have it all over our branding and our identity as a nation. Most people don't know that much about these animals. And I said to her, then we have to go to the national parks. Now, will you come? As she did, we flew to Amboseli, which is one of the most beautiful national parks south of the country with 1,700 elephants that are all known by name as individuals. We drove around in the back of a Land Rover, meeting these elephants and talking about them and their, their personalities, their individual personalities. And at the end of the day, we were with the Minister for Wildlife at the time, this wonderful lady called Judy Wahungu. And Judy kept saying, you know, Paula, we need to hurry this up. The First Lady has to go back before dark. And after saying this about three times, Margaret Kenyatta turned to Judy and she said, Judy, do you get into trouble if, if you're late? Or, you know, and Judy said, yes, I get into a lot of trouble. And she said, well, I don't. And that's Ooh. it. And it was just fantastic. We stayed overnight. We, um, it was really impromptu. She didn't even have a toothbrush. She said, we're staying overnight. We went to a hotel. We stayed overnight. She just started watching elephants. And I, I really got that um, I've studied elephants my whole life. I, I feel so privileged now because even though she, she is uh, the first lady, she hasn't had that opportunity and so she spent the whole morning watching elephants from her balcony of her hotel room. And at breakfast, she said to me, um, have you ever noticed that elephants walk in groups? They're always in groups. Yeah, because they're families. That's the matriarch, the grandmother, and all the daughters and their children. And she was just so moved. She named one of the elephants after her late father. And um, she became a fierce champion, and she continues to be the fierce champion for elephants. It, it was just the most amazing, amazing person to work with, the only first lady in the world who made wildlife um, a subject of her, you know, impact during her, her time as a first lady. Well, I'm so appreciative of the work that you and the first lady both do. And for our listeners who are just learning about Dr. Kumbu's work, Dr. Kumbu has spent more than 30 years learning about elephants and helping to protect them from poachers and extinction. Uh, we know that you're an expert on the African savanna elephant, and you're part of National Geographic's series that pr that's produced by James Cameron, Secrets of the Elephants. Um, what can viewers expect from this beautiful series? And, and we know that you've traveled the world to shoot the series. Asia, the Congo, you're in the rainforest, you're in the deserts. How did something like this kind of come to completion? What were some of the challenges that you faced in making this important work? Well, you know, Christina, um, elephants are among the most studied animals in the world and probably the most photographed and the most filmed in the world. And everyone thinks they know a lot about these magnificent animals. And the truth be told, it's usually the same groups of elephants that get filmed again and again in certain parts of Africa where they're really visible. In Secrets of the Elephants, we intentionally go out to show you elephants that have never been filmed before and to show you behaviors that have never been seen before. 
new things that are new to science uh, that uh, maybe will surprise you and make you feel even more in awe and wonder of these incredible beings. Elephants are so intelligent. They are problem solvers. They are adaptable. They live in all these different habitats from tropical rainforest where it rains most of the day to the driest of deserts where they spend all day walking to try and find a sip of water. And because they live in such very different environments and habitats, they have all kinds of different challenges and how they solve the problems in order to survive is really what this series is about. This is amazing. They were here long before us. And if they go, that entire wisdom will be lost. We were blown away ourselves in filming. I mean, I thought I knew a lot about elephants and everywhere I went, I was just like, wow, look at what's happening. I've never seen anything like this before. I didn't want to leave. I, I fell in love with every elephant we came across um, throughout the shooting. It was really, really amazing. So before we go to commercial break, what can we tell our listeners? What's one thing that stood out to you the most? What's one fact that you learned about elephants where you're like, I've been doing this for decades now and I had no idea that this was the case? Well, elephants, like humans, have culture. They have found ways of living in these different places and they transmit that knowledge from generation to generation just the way we do in our different cultures. It's amazing. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back, we'll finish playing The Blackest Questions with Dr. Paula Kuhunbu. Okay, we're back. We are playing The Blackest Questions with Dr. Paula Kuhunbu. You are doing incredibly well. You're one for one. Are you ready for question number two? I'm scared now. <laughs> it's just get a teeny bit harder, but I think you've got it. Okay, question number two. This place is located in central Kenya and is home to the last two remaining northern white rhino in the world. This place also made history back in 2015 when its employees used armed guards 24 hours a day to protect an endangered species. What is the name of this place? It's one of my most favorite places in the world. It's Old Pejeta Conservancy. You are correct. The Old Pechita Conservancy covers more than 90,000 acres and started as a cattle ranch in the 1940s. It became a conservancy in the 1980s when poaching was having a significant impact on the animal population. It's home to all members of the Big Five game, which are lions, Cape buffalo, African elephants, leopards, and rhinoceroses. Is that rhinoceroses or rhinoceri? Rhinoceroses. Does it matter? Rhinoceroses? Okay. Or rhinoceros? Right. Rhinos. <laughs> rhinos. Let's just say rhinos, right? And the world's right. last male northern white rhino, Sudan is his name, lived and was protected at the Conservancy until he died in 2018. So security is a huge undertaking, and planes, drones, dogs, and armed patrols are all used to keep the animals safe from poachers. And if any of our listeners are planning a trip to the continent, you can visit the old Pajeta Conservancy. So, Dr. Kumbu, you got this one right. Have you ever worked at this conservancy? I have not worked there, but I've visited many times and I've filmed there. I produced my own TV series, Wildlife Warriors, which is a a series that shines a light on African conservation role models at the front line. And we went to Olpejeda to film the last two northern white rhinos. Uh, I did this specifically because there's been quite a number of films made about the northern white rhinos, but most of those films have never been seen in Africa. They've certainly not been seen in Kenya. And yet those two 
amazing beings are living in Kenya. And I felt that their story needed to be told from Kenya, from an African perspective. So I looked at the people who take care of them. Most of us are very familiar with the male, you know, gun-toting rangers who are essential when it comes to protecting these endangered animals. They're, they're endangered because they have huge horns, and those horns are like literally as if you were walking around with a block of gold stuck on your face. It's that valuable. Um, so any anybody who uh, wants will try and come and kill them. But I was interested in the women, the women rangers who are really key um, in they do a lot of the monitoring. They know each individual rhino from their notches on their ears. They have a different and softer way of doing conservation, which I really, really loved. And um, I, I spent, you know, I think two weeks just, you know, in that environment with the men, with the dogs that are used to track the poachers and the women who are patrolling without weapons out there in the wild, such courage, such determination, and such uh, incredible commitment to conservation. It was such a phenomenal experience. That absolutely is. Now, so many of our listeners are based in the U.S. from the demographics I've, I've been told, but how can we in you know places like Brooklyn and the Bronx and Detroit and L.A., how can we help some of these endangered animals? What should we be doing from the states or, or other countries not in Kenya uh, to help uh, with this with this with this issue? Well, you know, I think people everywhere can help save Africa's wildlife. I'm so thrilled that the production of um, Secrets of the Elephants allowed me, a Kenyan, to be the voice of elephants, not just African elephants, but African and Asian elephants, because. Wherever they are, they are in peril in the rainforest. They've been persecuted for hundreds of years. In the desert, climate change is making their lives almost impossible. In Kenya, human-elephant conflict. In Asia, so many people crammed in elephants and humans living cheek to jowl. We need support for elephants wherever they are. And if you save elephants, you can save all those habitats and environments where elephants live and all the other animals that live with them. I think that we need to use this series to fall in love with them, of course. Tell them, tell our friends, tell our families, share this incredible love and awe and wonder about elephants, but also to support those conservation groups on the ground at the grassroots. In Kenya alone, there are 277 conservation areas owned and managed by local indigenous people. Most people around the world don't know this. And if you think about it, Africans have been protecting wildlife for eons. We evolved with them, and our wildlife is doing better than wildlife on all other continents, which means that we've been doing a really great job. But now the threats to our wildlife are coming from external forces, whether it's demand for ivory and rhino horn coming from the east or whether it's climate change coming from the west. What we're having is a situation where, despite all our best efforts in Africa, it's hard to protect these habitats, landscapes, and animals with those threats coming from way beyond our borders. So I really want people to support those conservationists at the grassroots, the communities who are living with these animals. They are sacrificing every single day. I meet people who lose their crops or lose their livestock, or sometimes their children can't go to school because there are elephants around them. 
those are the people who are the real conservationists. Those are the people we should be supporting. Uh, we are sitting here talking with Dr. Paula Kahumbu. Please be sure to check out her series, Wildlife Warriors. We're going to take a quick commercial break, come back and play a little bit more of The Blackest Question. And we're back. We're playing The Blackest Questions with Dr. Paula Kahumbu. We're also learning a lot about elephants in this episode, and I absolutely love it. Dr. Kumbu, are you ready for question number three? I'm ready. You're di- See, I, this is the confidence that I love. I love it. You're doing incredibly well. Okay, here we go. Question number three. This book was released in 1964 and was the first English-language novel to be published by an East African. It told the story of two brothers following the Mau Mau uprising. What is the name of this book? Oh, my goodness. Now you, you stumped <laughs> The answer is Weep Not Child. Oh. Weep Not Child was written by Kenyan author Ngugi Wathiango. It yes. was the first of his many novels. And then, you know, as I mentioned, the plot focused on the life during the Mau Mau uprising, which was the rebellion of Kenyan people against white British colonizers. The book has 18 chapters and is divided into two parts. So who is your favorite Kenyan author? I know... You know, lots of people don't like to answer questions about favorites. But do you have time to read, you know, novels and literature about Kenya? And if so, who's your favorite yeah. Kenyan author? I I do read um, a lot, actually. Uh, most of it's scientific stuff, but I do read novels. My favorite Kenyan author is Yvonne Awar. You need to look her up. She's amazing. She's Her latest book is called Dragonfly Sea. And she writes beautifully um, about indigenous peoples. In this particular episode, it's about the local people of an island called Lamu, which is off the East African coast. And um, Yvonne is a, a friend of mine for, for a long time. And I'm just so thrilled that she's now an award-winning author. And she's even writing for National Geographic. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, there's something about having friends who are authors uh, who you've known for a very long time. I have a college classmate, Tiffany Unique, who is a, a, a fiction writer from St. Thomas, a fiction writer and a poet. Uh, and when we met the first week of school, she says, I'm Tiffany, I'm from St. Thomas, and I'm going to be a writer. And then to go and pick up her books from a bookstore, you know, yeah. she's written two novels and countless books on poetry. It is something extra special to read a novel yeah. or a book from a friend. It really is. It it's really absolutely is. absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And so for your scientific reading, are you primarily reading about, say, climate change? Or are you reading about animals? When you sort of sit down to, to really absorb uh, new information, what's, what's primarily your focus? I read a lot of uh, the latest science and research on our African wildlife and, of course, a lot of um, research on climate change as well. I'm really interested in teaching. So I'm constantly updating myself on um, knowledge that I can use to create educational programs for children in particular. So I think that the future for conservation really lies in the hands of children. We need to make this information accessible to them at such an early age before they become influenced by all the other things that when I was a child, I was influenced by our colonial educational system. 
Our children today don't even have environment or conservation in their curriculum. So I have this amazing program for children. I was gifted 30 acres of land as my organization was gifted 30 acres of land. And we have a big old tent. We show films and we take children out into the wild, into the wilderness. We're right adjacent to a national park. There are rhinos, lions, giraffes, and all kinds of amazing animals around us. And children are unleashed to go and explore. In this expedition, I've learned that wildlife are important to, to the community, to us children, and to, the, and to the world. And find the dung and signs of animals to identify plants and to do research. Some of these children are as young as five, up to about 15 years old. And I'm always looking for creative ways of helping these children to explore for themselves and discover for themselves, not be lectured to, which is, which is really the typical education system. Um, I want them to, to find, um, question, and interpret nature themselves through science and art and everything else in between. That What we're seeing is kids with incredible self-confidence coming out of this. Um, they're coming out with all kinds of creative new ideas and ways of sharing their knowledge. And I suppose the thing that I'm most impressed with is the incredible generosity that I see from these children. They are from rural areas. They are from very poor backgrounds and they feel so privileged that it's unfair. They, they've told me they feel it's unfair that they get the chance to come out with scientists and do things hands-on, which is how it was for me when I was a child. But, and that's why I want to give it back to them. And they feel that it's not fair that they, at the age of 10, have this incredible chance and privilege, and they want to share it with other children. They want to not only watch films, they want to make their own films. They want, and I asked them why, and they said, because we want other children to have a chance right. to learn from us that, as well. That quest of learning and sharing is just absolutely beautiful. We've got to take a quick commercial break. I'm sitting here just awed and inspired by Dr. Paula Kahumbu, educator and also documentarian, and we must check out her show on National Geographic. Okay, Dr. Kumbu, we are back. We're ready to play question number four in the Blackest Questions. How are you feeling? Oh, no. I'm scared. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear any more questions. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Question number four. This Kenyan visual artist is known for her paintings, sculpture, film, and performance work, and her work often focuses on the female body. She was born in Kenya, but moved to New York City in her 20s. Who is she? Is she Wangeshi Mutu? You are correct. Her work has been showcased in some of the most prestigious museums and galleries in the world. Ungechi Mutu has been described as an Afrofuturist, and she also highlights femininity and the violence and misrepresentation experienced by Black women in contemporary society. The solo exhibit that I mentioned at the New Museum in New York City uh, contains more than 100 pieces of her work. So when you're out in nature, I mean, nature is a canvas in and of itself, but do you get to museums? And if so, how do you spend your free time and what artists sort of um, inspire you uh, in your in your personal life? You know, funnily enough, I actually know Wangeshi and uh, I spend time with her and her sister, actually. In Kenya, we have a few museums and I used to uh, be involved with the museums. And I was much more interested in the science side of things. But a lot of our interpretation of science is um, the communication of science it was powerfully done through art. And if you think about it, film is a, a form of art as well. So documentary filmmaking. 
And I work with artists in Kenya and beyond Kenya as well. I'm, uh, I'm constantly looking for ways to bring this to children as well, because art is such an interesting way of learning and uh, expressing yourself. So, you know, Wangeshi, when you talked about Wangeshi just now, it just reminded me of the things we do with children where they collect items from nature and they create their own artistic depictions with twigs and leaves and mud, <laughs> whatever they find. Yes. They create and this, she uses so much mud and feathers, you know, in a lot of her work as well. Yeah, I hadn't Kenyan even mud. thought about that. So, yeah, I think um, art is, is a very interesting... Africans, I mean, if you look at African fashions, you look at African uh, body, uh, body piercings and uh, body markings, um, if you look at even the homes and architecture in Africa, there's art and science in everything. It's really something which is totally underappreciated and something that I've started to look at much more carefully and to get children to explore with us as well. Because I was just raised in such a traditional educational system where we just look to the West for everything. And now I'm looking locally and like, oh my goodness, look at a mud right. hat. It is such a yes. genius design, really. Yes, the ingenuity, you know, you know where, where so many people have taken natural resources uh, they are, themselves are conservationists. There's no waste. Yeah. You know, I think of this sometimes when looking at uh, the U.S. South as well. Uh, and it's absolutely stunning what yeah. people have been able to do, you know, without, quote unquote, formal Western education, with using everything that surrounds them right. as part of a foundation. And I really do think what I love about your work is, you know, not just as a documentarian slash artist uh, and a scientist and a conservationist, but really as an educator, because what is the point? of putting all these pieces together the way you are without sharing it with the next generations, especially the next generation of Kenyans who will soon be leaders of the country before we know it. Exactly. Well, you know what I really love is that when I started doing documentary work, I was thinking so much about the science and I had to be taught not not to just be too scientific and to talk to a, an audience of ordinary people. And now I really understand and appreciate when we talk of art as well there's the music there is um there is the the stories the stories that are that are in our elders our grandparents um and the way that we tell stories i'm i'm just seeing so much creativity everywhere and it might it also explain why africans are so innovative so used merging their engineering and their art and science and bringing all these things together without thinking about it in boxes, which is how I was educated. You know, art is over there and you do arts or you do sciences. We, we were never taught that these two things could go together. Um, so I'm so excited about... I'm excited. New, yeah, the new I'm story excited for your work. I'm excited for what you're doing. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, we'll learn more with Dr. Paula Kahumbu educator, documentarian, wildlife warrior. Um, you are doing so much. I'm super inspired. I can't wait to reflect on this episode. Um, we'll take a quick commercial break. We're playing the Blackest Questions with my new favorite, Dr. Paula Kukumbu. And we're back. We're playing the Blackest Questions with Dr. Kukumbu. Doctor, are you ready for question number five? I'll try. Okay. <laughs> we're doing incredibly well, incredibly well. 
And I think our listeners are learning a ton, especially uh, about Kenya and wildlife conservation and, and what we can be doing and should be doing. Okay, question number five. Athletes from Kenya have won a combined of 103 Olympic medals, and they're from just two sports. What are these two sports? Well, definitely um, long-distance running, marathon running. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be marathons and the 10,000 meters. So in these categories, we're going to say track and field is one. Okay. And so that's the marathon running. And the other is boxing. Oh. That was a surprise to me, too. So Kenya began competing in the Olympics in 1956 and has been to every Summer Olympics since then, except for 1976 and 1980, when they were boycotting the Games, both times for political reasons. In 1980, it was actually boxer Muhammad Ali who traveled to Kenya and convinced the nation to boycott the Games being held in Moscow to protest the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan. Kenya has won 35 gold medals, 42 silvers, and 36 bronzes. So the country started competing in the Olympics before you were born. Um, did you grow up ever following the games or did you play sports? And does that factor into any of your work? I did. I played a lot of sports. I was a swimmer and um, I was also a volleyball player. It Ooh. does factor a lot in what I do because I think that um, our our health and the state of our environment are interlinked. So I do work with athletes in Kenya um, to... Uh, to convey and to communicate the conservation message in sports because you can't you can't be an elite athlete if your air is unhealthy or if your food is unhealthy. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's completely interconnected. And some of our conservation areas have become very important uh, locations for marathons and ultra marathons, which I really support. Well, so many people who I talk to who, who's, you know, don't know much about the continent, so they say, but they always know about, you know, the excellence of Kenyans in track and field. And I, I think that it's so important that you make this connection to our natural environment and sports. Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick, quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to play the Black Lightning Round, which I think you're going to love. Okay, we're back. Final, final games with Dr. Paula Kukumbu, conservationist, documentarian, educator, artist, you name it. Are you ready, Dr. Kumbu? Now, these questions, the first thing that comes to mind, you answer. There's no right or wrong answers, okay? Okay. Okay. Do you prefer the mountains or the beach? The beach. Your favorite animal to see if you're on safari? Elephants. <laughs> I think I knew the answer to that one. What animal have you yet to see that you hope to see? Or have you Polar seen bears. everything? Polar Whoa. bears. Besides Kenya, what's your favorite country to visit on the continent? I'm not trying to start beef, just curious. Ecuador. Oh, okay. Um, do you prefer to plant a tree or pick fresh flowers? Plant a tree for sure. Okay. And lastly, all the seasons, what's your favorite? Spring. Mm. Oh, so much promise and so much hope. I've been talking to Dr. Paula Kahunbu. Before we go, I want to remind all of our listeners to catch the National Geographic series, Secrets of the Elephants. And as Dr. Kahunbu mentioned, let's support the grassroots groups that are dedicated to supporting vulnerable animals 
Dr. Kuhumbu, you were fantastic. I've learned a ton. I'm completely inspired. Please promise us you'll come back and tell us more about your new series and your new document uh, documentaries as they, they progress in the years to come. Thank you so, so much. I really hope you love watching Secrets of the Elephant, and I'd love to hear from oh, you I as well. Oh, National Geographic series, Secrets of the Elephant. Thank you all again for listening to The Blackest Questions. The show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is our director of podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can find more at the Grio Black Podcast Network on the Grio app, website, and YouTube.